0: Everything has been designed and invented by people no smarter than us. When you think of it that way, you say, well, I can go and invent and design something that will influence and impact what other people do.
1: What's up, you guys? My name is Mick Kraschowski, and welcome to episode 65 of That Remote Life podcast, where we hear from location-independent entrepreneurs and professionals so you can learn to quit the cubicle and live life on your terms. Today on the podcast, I'm joined by Nicholas Vandenberg, a serial entrepreneur and the founder of Chili Piper a fully distributed company with over 40 employees spread out across 35 different cities and 15 countries. Chili Piper is focused on reinventing the system of action for sales professionals to provide them with new levels of productivity and job satisfaction and works with some of the most recognizable companies today like Airbnb, Square, and Intuit. This is also not Nicholas's first time building a successful software company because over the last 20 years, he has built three other tech companies with exits from all three So it's safe to say that Nicholas understands the entrepreneurial journey inside and out. I had so much fun speaking with Nicholas and we discussed how attending a speech by Steve Jobs inspired him to jump into the world of entrepreneurship, why he decided to build a fully distributed company and why he believes it's such a powerful edge. And we also got to talk about some of the tips that Nicholas has for up and coming entrepreneurs on launching startups, bootstrapping versus taking VC money and managing a remote team now before we jump into the interview I do want to give a shout out to Nicole babyface who left a review on Apple Podcasts. and Nicole says huge fan five stars I'm a huge fan of this podcast it is filled with valuable content and it makes me even more excited to finally go nomadic Thank you so much for the review, Nicole. And I'm pumped for you to become nomadic. And you know what? When you do, I want you to shoot me an email at mitco at com because I'd love to hear all about it. And if you're listening and you're enjoying this podcast, consider leaving a review as well. It's one of the best ways to support this show. Also, if you are digging the conversations we're having on this pod and want to share your thoughts, head over to Facebook and join That Remote Life Guild, where we're diving in even deeper on all things remote work, online business, and global citizenship. As always, you can find the full show notes and all the resources we mentioned during this interview over at thatremotelife.com forward slash episode 65. That's episode all spelled out, followed by the number 65. All right, you guys, without further ado, let's dive into this awesome conversation with Nicholas Vendenberg. All right, well, Nicholas, welcome to the show, man. Thank you so much for uh, being here. I appreciate it.
0: Thank you. Thanks for having me.
1: Yeah, um, first of all, I got to start out. A lot of the people on here who come on as guests are remote and location independent. So it's always really interesting to hear where you're tuning in from. So where are you right now? I know you're originally from Paris. That's right. Um, is that where you are right now or are you somewhere
0: else? No, no. I'm in uh, Brooklyn. I in mean, Brooklyn. Okay. In the Navy Yard, the brand new uh, uh, area that they developed uh, recently. As, as nomads go, I spend uh, 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 every month uh, a third of my time in Los Angeles and two thirds of my time in uh, Brooklyn. But this is non-summer month. Not on summer month, I spend mostly in France and other European countries. So uh, July, August. So right now, since uh, we're not yet summer and we have a bit of a problem traveling, uh, I'm in Brooklyn.
1: Yeah, that doesn't sound like a bad life, jumping between, uh, you know, France and and Brooklyn and (laughs) L.A., man. (laughs) It
0: took me a long time to line up that life, but finally I got to it, yeah.
1: So what brought you out to Brooklyn uh, in the first place? Uh, It's interesting you say that uh, I um, grew up in the south of France.
0: I love traveling. When I finished my, uh, I went to school in Paris at Ecole Polytechnique. And when I finished, I said, okay, let's start the, the nomad life, right? So I uh, moved to London. I spent five years there, um, really enjoyed it. And then I said, now it's time to move on. And I wanted to move to Asia. And uh, I thought I'd do a stop in the United States because this was also intriguing. And my way to do the stop was to go to business school. So I thought I'm going to go to business school. Now, funny thing, I applied to Stanford. They said no. I applied again and said no. And the third time, they said, okay, fine. <laughs> stop, bugging <laughs> stop bugging us. We'll take you. So I landed up in Stanford. Because, and I was very excited because I wanted to go to Asia next. I wanted to go to Hong Kong. So, um when I landed there, uh, a classmate of mine, Steve Jeverson, who has become quite a famous va- investor now, invited Steve Jobs. And Steve Jobs came to talk to us. And when I heard him, I said, this is just amazing, this tech entrepreneurship. I never heard of it. In London, there was none of that. In, in Marseille, there was none of that, right? Uh, this, that's what I want to do. And so I changed my plans completely. I said, I'm going to be a tech entrepreneur. And to these days, I've never been to Hong Kong. Even though was, I was firm on going to Hong Kong, I've never even visited the place. So that's the first answer to your question. Um, um, why am I still in the U.S.? Is the first part. Because I'd say I'm going to be a tech entrepreneur and the U.S. is the place to be. So I spent five years, so two years in Palo Alto, five years in San Francisco. And then there was a dot bomb, right? Um, Mm -hmm. so San Francisco it really felt it's hard to believe now uh, because 2000 so 20 years later but it really felt that it was the end of tech there was it was was, tech had been an illusion it was nonsensical Uh, you know this internet was ridiculous It's good for email but but uh, buying food for uh, pets uh, online is just absurd Uh, (laughs) let's go back to real uh, wisdom and, and, and move on so when that happened um I thought, what am I going to do? And uh, my ex-wife had the opportunity to come to work in New York for Louis Vuitton, mm. to be VP marketing of Louis Vuitton. And uh, they offered the job. She's My ex-wife is from LA. That's why I go to LA uh, frequently. Uh, and she said, uh, I'm not going to go to New York. They're all snobs. And I said, I'm going to tell you something. If you're VP marketing of Louis Vuitton, you will be the snob, right? <laughs> <laughs> so... I um, convinced her to move because I just wanted to try it, and I moved to New York. And um, now we finally get into your question. When I got here, I thought this is just amazing. This is I love it. The intensity of the city, uh, the the diversity, uh, the the ability to travel. This is the best place in the world. So I stayed here, and I've been Mm -hmm. in New York for twenty years now. Um, I moved to Brooklyn uh, because. uh, in my view, that's where things are happening right now in New York. It's much more exciting to be in Brooklyn than anywhere else. Uh, all sorts of uh, new energy, like in the Navy Yard, where they rebuild these these uh, old uh, buildings into uh, super cool uh, new offices. So that's the reason why I'm in Brooklyn, and I love the fact that uh, you know I'm six hours from LA, six hours from Paris, uh, mm-hmm. and and fifteen minutes from Manhattan.
1: Yeah, you know um, Dan Andrews, who. Um, He runs a podcast called Tropical MBA, and he's been on here um, before uh, on this podcast. And one of the things that he talks about is what a city whispers. And I think that you're definitely right about New York definitely has that whisper of like you go there and you get energized, right? I mean, at least a lot of people who are entrepreneurial would get energized by that. Some people would get shut down, but definitely like New York, there's like that intensity and it definitely whispers like, Hustle and like, you know, yeah. work and like uh, ambition and, and those sorts of That's things. That's a great
0: expression. I never heard it, but it's very true. The, the city is a whisper or something. The mm-hmm. way the the, the, the the my passion for New York is so obvious that uh, in, in a year after I moved here, uh, my mother uh, visited from France and uh, I picked her up at the airport and I drove uh, into Manhattan and she looked at my face and she looked. That means," she said. "But uh, Nicholas, you're never going. You're never going to come back, are you? She knew. <laughs> she knew. Uh, yeah, it, she knew. I said, you know, I think not. Uh, this is just my place. Yeah.
1: So today, you are the CEO of um, Chili Piper, yeah. which is a a sales software that we can talk about. Yeah. Um, you guys have, you know, sixty five employees all over the world but i'm curious because this isn't your first company right you've actually grown 3 and and as as i understand sold all 3 in the past yeah. so this has been a journey for you yeah. and it it started like you said that day when you listened to steve jobs talk and i'm curious with not really having ever thought about entrepreneurship or business, you know, or entrepreneurship and tech entrepreneurship before then, what did Steve Jobs say that you were just like at that point? You're like, that's it. Like, he's convinced me. Like, what what was he talking about?
0: So it's very funny because uh, he was at his, at his uh, lowest point. He was running next. Mm-hmm. And the joke was that he was running it next to nowhere. Um he was struggling, and so you'd think that uh, that was not very inspiring. He sat on the floor, very humble. Um, but then, when when he described what he was trying to do and how he was going about it, so "This he is doing a new computer system that's going to change how people use computers." And, and, and um, you know, at Mac, he had millions of users. That was the thing that the, the, this ability uh, to build something that as such an impact and influence on, 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 on uh, other people. Um, so th- that, that felt completely fascinating to me. And, and he, he has a famous quote, and I honestly don't remember if he said it like that, that night, that he encouraged people to think of, uh, to realize something. And that is that everything around us, everything has been designed and invented by people no smarter than us. Mm. So that's his big quote as a video. And when you think of it that way, you say, "Well, I can go and invent and design something that will influence and impact what other people do." That that is his key belief. And so that was the essence of 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 uh, what it, is. it was: this combination that you can build something that's going to influence the life of others. And you you have to believe in yourself. You you uh, every, everything has been done by others. So take your shot and and try to do it. That—that that was, I say, I am going to do it. I am going to take my shot and try to do something. And I know I didn't invent uh, a new computer platform or a new phone, uh, at least not yet. Uh, but you know, I, I picked something more more doable, and and I went. Uh, the first thing I did was uh, in nineteen ninety five was uh, Photoshop for Dummies. So the Photoshop was in but it was uh, the, the license was seven hundred dollars, and it was incredibly complicated as it as it is. Uh, and I thought, okay, well, all these people are going to move to, consumers are going to move to uh, digital imaging. And it's hard to believe, but at the time it was not sure. But, you know, but it, I could tell, right? So they're going to need a tool to, to, to play with their image on the computer. So that's what we built. It was $49 and um, it was super easy to use. We sold it at Walmart and other dinosaurs of this kind uh, circuit city and and uh, big OEM deals and uh, we very quickly got millions of uh, units distributed and it was very satisfying you know um, with partners like Epson HP Canon uh, shipping their printers bundled with our software uh, and then people would use to do beautiful thing and print on these beautiful printers it was it was very uh, gratifying so even though uh, it wasn't quite the iPhone. It was still uh, something that uh, got me very excited.
1: Chili Piper currently is a tech software, um, you know. Sales
0: tech. We 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 we, we help sales do their job. Yeah,
1: correct. But I mean, it, what I was trying to say is, it's it's tech based. You you built a software, and it sounds like your very first business was as well. But you're not actually a developer yourself, correct?
0: I am not, uh, but I am trained. Uh, I did math and computer science undergrad, and. Uh, so I I have affinity uh, I think it's the best way to describe with with uh, technology and computer software like I there were in my second or third company there was a time when I had to compile the code to deploy it right so there's no question that there are people more talented than me at uh, writing software and no question that uh, there are other activities that I enjoy more like selling and so mm. uh, so that's what I do so but I, but I enjoy it I, I really uh, I can see. Uh, the pleasure when people come up with the right solution in software and the elegance of a solution, I say, wow, yeah. that's beautiful. So if you say something beautiful about software, it means that somewhere you, you, you have an affinity for it.
1: Yeah, the reason I ask is because I'm not a developer myself. I don't really have a tech background, but like yourself, I do have an interest in technology. And I find it fascinating and really um, impressive. When somebody who doesn't have a tech background is able to, you know, build a software or be a part of like yourself, you're the CEO of a software company. And the reason why I find it so inspiring is because I may have tried my hand at, you know, something similar and have just like realized how difficult it is to run a tech company without actually having tech background. And so for somebody who's maybe trying to build a software or wants to be in that space but doesn't have a tech background, what are some of the tips that you can give them? For somebody who, for example, wants to be a CEO of a SaaS business but doesn't have a tech background, what would your tips for them be? Well,
0: So for sure, you have to have an affinity for software. And then what I found is that the key to succeed in a startup Is product market fit. I've not found that. Other smart people uh, have found that. There's a famous blog, Mark Mark, Andreessen, they say the only thing in the matter is product market fit. And you don't have to be a software developer to find product market fit. And and you can be the best software developer and not have a talent at finding product market fit. So what it's about is product market fit. If you're building technology to solve a problem, it's better that you have an affinity for technology so that you understand what you're doing and what's possible, right? We do it all the time when I say, oh, why don't we, uh, do that particular feature? Because I know it's possible, right? And mm-hmm. people say, well, that's going to be very hard. I say, yeah, but you know, but I know it's possible. So you have to know what's possible to solve problems. Uh, uh but you don't need to be able to do it yourself, right? So the, the, um uh, the key is product market fit and, and the, the talent that's behind product market fit is, I guess, best described as, as as market intelligence. So understanding what's happening in the market, what people need to do and, and what they do. And that market intelligence is, is is very, very practical. So part of it is where the dollars flow, where there's money. But the other piece is how do people do their job day to day and, and how could they do it differently, right? Even though I was inspired by... uh Steve Jobs, right now, that the guy who impresses me the most is uh, Jeff Bezos, and Jeff Bezos is always he, he gets into the details of a, of a problem. He says, "We're well, going to do it better." I mean, when he launched AWS, I was already in the business. Uh, there was sort of a hosting company. There was one called Slice, Slice, and you'd buy a slice of a server, and there was nothing wrong with it, right? But then he understood that it's not quite how you want to deploy your software, that it would be better if you could buy uh, computing and storage um, and, and, and uh, these other tools around it. Uh, it's like a, a very subtle difference, but it took the market by storm because it was the right difference, right? <laughs> and and uh, market intelligence is, is in the details of how uh, uh, computing is done and how you can do it differently. So the Um, back to your question what advice I would give I said look you have to pick a space where you think that you're likely to understand the space really really well and and be at that level of difference that that people don't um, think of it but you know better that these details matter and that's going to be the Foundation of a successful company,
1: yeah, it's interesting with with Jeff Bezos. It sounds very simple, but I listened to um, an interview with one of the people who helped him develop like the advertising within Amazon. And what this gentleman was saying was that he's very unemotional and he's very data driven, and that he was actually very anti the advertising on Amazon uh, until they walked in and they showed him all of this data. Of like how beneficial it can be, and that in the split second he was like, "Cool, go do it," which sounds really simple as a concept. But if you think about, you know, there's things that you're very emotional about, and yeah. things that you've decided you're not going to do, and to be able to switch directions quickly because you saw the data and you're immediately like, "Nope, that was just a preconceived yeah, notion that, that, of
0: That's question. amazing. I didn't know that story. I thought he had he had initiated it. Uh, I didn't know it was against it, but uh, um, this is probably one of the most counterintuitive business decisions I've ever seen. You have a store and you advertise other people's store in your store. I mean, like Mm -hmm. when he did that, he's lost his mind. That's what he felt. But then you look at the details and say, well, look, these people are not finding what they're looking for. Somebody else is finding what they're looking for. I can make money from that somebody else. Why wouldn't I? Uh, Plus, they're more likely to come back here because they say, oh, if I go to Amazon, I always make sure if I don't find it there, I'll find it. And boom, it works. And so the uh, the data supported the most counterintuitive uh, position. Um, but yeah, it is an amazing story. I didn't know he was against it, but uh, but I'm not surprised that he changed his mind. And, and it's uh, very spectacular. And it's one of the things where as I say. It's it's in, it's in the details, right? It's uh, you mm-hmm. have to understand well what they're going to do if they haven't found where they look at, where to live anyway. All right, and, and uh, what, what if I offered them uh, an alternative? And um, and yes, it works.
1: And to circle to circle back to your story and the founding of Chili Piper, there are a ton of software out there that have the same goal of doing kind of like what Chili Piper does. They, they exist in the same market. What did you see? What was the data that you saw that you were like, I'm going to start Chili Piper? Why did you start
0: It's a uh, constant balance uh between uh, the big picture and the small details so we just discussed how it's all about understanding the details but you also want to have a big picture because because Mm. uh, the the big picture is that uh, i was helping a friend in a telecom company running a sales team and uh, i got the reps on um, salesforce and they refused to use salesforce and, uh, and I said, come on, guys. You know, and it's, some company uh, threatened. They say you don't get your commission if the deal is not in Salesforce, right? Um, mm. And I thought, you know, you have to threaten them to use the software. Well, uh, my daughter, I don't need to threaten her to use her iPhone, right? I need right. To, I <laughs> know, to stop using her iPhone. So I thought this world is going to change and that's what got me started. I'm going to gonna be a, a bit like uh, we discussed with Steve Jobs when he said, look, the world uh, is yours to influence. So say, I'm going to go and, and solve that problem. So that's the big picture. Then the next thing is say, what problem can I find? And when you think, well, there's a lot of companies out there doing it, you think, yes, but look at the details. In the details, they don't all solve the same problem uh, and they don't all solve the same way. So that's... Um, My core thing is saying, I'm sure I'm going to find problems that are not well solved and and will get me started in that big market. And the first one we solved was really narrow. I didn't come up with it. Somebody asked me if if I knew of a solution. And I said, wow, that's a problem. And it was the problem of uh, prospecting teams, uh, getting somebody on the phone. So let's say you you hire uh, 10 what's called sales development reps, right? The people who do prospecting. And then you have, uh, let's say, 15 account executives. Well, they need to book, but they don't know which one to book for. And maybe they need to rotate the meetings so that everybody gets the same amount of meetings, right? So that's a little problem that turned out to be a big problem for companies. And so somebody came to me and said, could you solve that problem the combination of scheduling quickly, and, but yet making it to the right person and fair? So we built that software. It took us a few months, and and we we went to market. And a lot of companies had this problem and buying upfront, one year upfront of our software. So so much so that we started in January 16, and in October 16 we were cash positive. But obviously, I didn't create a company to say I'm going to be the king of a handoff between prospecting and account executive. <laughs> you know, sure. a company that I, I just I, I want to be the king of sales tech. So. Next, you need to find a bigger problem. So the bigger problem we found, uh, and I'll tell you uh, how it, it, it really uh, came about. I was talking to this prospecting team, the SDRs, and I said, w- w- what is your job? I said, I'm an inbound SDR. I said, what does an inbound SDR do? He said, well, you see these forms where the prospects come and request a meeting. I'm the one who calls the prospect and book the meeting with the account executive. Okay, and how is that going? It's going great. I'm converting at forty percent. That's kind of the hidden truth of the industry. People convert at convert at forty percent. So I said, "You mean to say that sixty people have asked for a meeting out of a hundred and they didn't get it, right? Because that's what converting at forty
1: percent. Mm, like, yeah, yeah. And
0: that's completely insane. <laughs> so why is that? So well, and so I looked at the data, and you look at all these requests. All chunk of them are never called. SGR is on the weekend and they don't follow up. Or or it happened to me that somebody called, but it's a number I don't know, so I never pick up and check the voicemail.
1: Right, right.
0: So that seemed to me like a bigger problem, (laughs) like a a major problem. Uh, So that was problem number two at Chili Pepper that we decided to address. And we built a solution when when the prospects submit a form in real time, we take the data, we qualify it, so make sure it's a valid prospect. And then we call the rep that should take that meeting call back the prospect and connect them. Or if the rep can't take the meeting, we retrieve the calendar in real time, show the option and say, please book a time that works for you. Either way, the prospect Mm. is connected in real time. And as you said, a lot of companies are there, but nobody had solved that problem, amazingly, right? And we solved it. And by the time we solved it, we had a company called Segment do a test to see if we were improving their conversion rate. We doubled them. We double. Wow. wow. We got people from forty to eighty percent, right? And then we started selling, and and we can. I was just on the phone with somebody today. I said, "Look, it has not happened to us that we did not improve conversion rates. It has not happened. Whenever we get somebody on board, we improve conversion rates because it's a better way to do it. So um, it, it, it's very surprising. There are about eight hundred companies in cell tech right now. It's very surprising that nobody had thought of this problem." And nobody had solved this problem. Here we are, three years later, we're still the only one, uh, and we're growing. Uh, we're doubling year over year. Uh, we have uh, all the cool companies as customer, like okay. Intuit, Gainsight, Sight, Facebook—you uh, you name it—they're they're customer.
1: It's almost like because there's so many big competitors, you almost found the small problems that maybe they're like, ah, those are small problems. We don't want to worry about them. But if you go into them and exploit them and develop a really good way of you know, fixing that, a very stylish way of fixing that issue, and then find the other one, and then the other one, and then the other one, you build up enough of these things that you're fixing and fixing them better way than the other people are that all of a sudden you're boom, you're actually... You know, somebody that people thought that, oh, somebody smaller is going to deal with that. But now you're not so small anymore because you've collected a lot of these features that you're fixing. That's
0: exactly right. And sometimes uh, what we're doing now is uh, fixing uh, something that's not a problem. What do you mean? Email. So we're about to launch something on email. So people email, uh, it's fine. We, we uh, this idea that they uh, say, uh, you know what? Um, it'd be really helpful, helpful to be able to comment on an email the way I comment on Google Doc. Because I can ping somebody, and, and, and often, you know, yes, you can forward or you can talk on Slack, but uh, um, the forward pollutes the thing, and you you only see the last email when you forward. But we have a thread of emails, you know, you want to have access to full thread. So we well, said, "What that would be cool uh, if I was that." So we build that solution. We're about to launch it. Uh, nobody came to us and say, um, I have a problem, I can't comment on my email. We just thought if you apply this uh, solution like in the documents to email, that would be something that could be very uh, powerful. So it's more coming in the solution a I know you don't have a problem, but I have a better way to do it. Let's try it, right? And that better way. So that's how I think of uh, Steve Jobs when he launched the iPhone. I was using a Sony Ericsson, and I was very happy with it. So I felt I had no problem. But then when when, uh, Steve Jobs came with the iPhone, that was so much better. (laughs) And and, and then you go back to it and say, oh, I do have problems. That's... Right, right the right. web is shit, email is shit, right? I didn't realize and, uh, when you see oh, it could be better then then uh, you don't want to go back to the old uh, way. yes, yeah, the
1: problem is that you don't see there until you know somebody comes around and goes, why is this being done this way? you know this is this is a terrible way to do That's this exactly right, yeah, right. I remember uh, having to like click the the like little buttons to go down and like over with your mouse on the like old web browsers on the on the on the phones. I am old enough to not have used a touch screen for web. Yeah, that's right. So I want to ask you, like you said, you know, you have all the cool companies working for you, uh, not working for you, like working with you, using your software. Yeah, we work for them. Um, yeah, you work for them. There you go. Why decide to build a company remotely? Why not get a cool office with a bunch of beanbag chairs, like the cool companies that, you know, are your are your clients have? Why Why build a company remotely?
0: That was from day one. But we do have the beanbag chairs and the cool office. It's just (laughs) we're alone in it. (laughs) (laughs) It's our own private uh, beanbag chair. Uh, First one is um, I'm, as we mentioned, uh, originally uh, from the South of France. My wife, who's my co-founder, is from Romania. And so we obviously um, have experienced that uh, there's uh, talented people everywhere, right? We... And we thought, you know, there are talented people everywhere in the world. And if we recruit in Brooklyn, we'll get talented people in Brooklyn, uh, which is a tiny portion of the world. Why not go to Russia or Peru or, you know, any of these places and find talent there? The talent pool is so much bigger. So that was the first uh, reason. The second reason is, uh, as we've discussed earlier in the call, uh, I love traveling. I mean, my wife loves traveling. We la- love being in other places. And we have this strong belief that now that we're, you work on computers, you can do your work anywhere. And in that case, we're not doing it anywhere, right? Let's people go where they want. So we decided to say we're going to find people wherever they want and let them go wherever they want, as long as they just uh, collaborate with us and, and, and are productive. And it turned out that... Uh, we started in 2016, but by then it was very clear that everybody could be uh, as productive remotely as they are in person. There's zero that I actually think people are more productive. Um, and not only because we cut down the commute time, right? It's commute time. Uh, we do encourage people to find an office near their home and go there, right? But the minimum commute time is from your kitchen to your home office, right? Which is uh, uh, 10 seconds. In our case, it's uh, Seven-minute bike ride from home to the office, and it's it's very uh, pleasant. But I actually think that by being online, you uh, you are led to reduce your interactions to the most important interactions, as opposed to have a meeting where you you booked an hour meeting now in this meeting room as well, just stay there for the. Well, if if you are online and you finish the meeting, you just finish it. It's much easier. There's a lot of less uh, wasted time uh, working remotely. So it turns out that uh, it's not only possible, it's actually more effective. Uh, But that we didn't know until we, we, you say we're 65 people. We're actually uh, on our way there, but we're only 42 people right now at Chili Piper. Uh, I had another company that I sold, we were 65 people. Um, Now we're recruiting even these days, so we'll get to 65 very quickly. Our 42 people are in uh, 36 cities. And 16 countries, mm. so we have people everywhere. We have, we have uh, people in places I've never heard of. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like a joke. Say, so where are you exactly? And show us on Google Map uh, where where you are. Um, and that's also a super um, pleasant aspect of our uh, strategy is to discover people from different places. Uh, once a year, we all get together. So hopefully, we'll be able to do that this year. Uh, you know, uh, social distancing will. Uh, be more relaxed by the end of the year last year we took everybody to ibiza and we we went partying and when you get these people from all over the world meet for the first time in person in a a party place it's amazing the level of excitement you get it's it's really amazing and it's such a pleasurable uh, human experience so there are these side benefits that we I didn't start the company remotely thinking, you know, I'll get everybody to e Ibiza and we'll have such a nice party, <laughs> but it turned out to be a side benefit, yeah.
1: So a lot of companies right now are being forced to work remotely. And a lot of these, you know, um, managers or, or business owners who never planned to have to deal with uh, a remote working structure are now being forced to do so. And I'm curious um, for those people and for the people who do want to work remotely, who do want to manage a remote team and, and, and run their company distributed like you do, what's kind of like the biggest tip that you found in order to manage a team remotely uh, successfully?
0: There are uh, two. The first one is that uh, you have to take the leap of trusting people.
1: Mm. And how do you do that? Well, you do that very
0: easily uh, because what happens is that uh, when you start trusting people, you come to realize that uh, nowadays uh, everything is done uh, digitally. Obviously, I'm talking about uh, knowledge workers, right? So there's there's, there's a f- footprint of whatever you do. So if my salespeople book meetings, I go to Salesforce. I see every meeting booked. If they buy close a deal, I go to Salesforce, close a deal if a marketing person does a case study, I saw the case study. So everything that everybody does is actually online somewhere. So you can see if people are producing or not, right? So right. So th- th- this idea that you need to be behind people to see what they're doing and that is, is completely outdated. So if you trust people, you will actually very quickly realize that you should because everything they do is there and you can tell. At any time, I have 42 people. I know... Uh, how everyone is doing uh, you know, at any time. It's very easy. So the fact is that you can trust people because in effect, you'll be able to see how they're doing. Uh, and and, and, the thing. and then the second thing is that uh, it's, it's not rocket science. It's the basics. The most obvious one is um, Zoom and Slack, right? To be able to get that immediate uh, communication to replace the... Uh, uh, talking. You have to be careful with Slack because it can be such a distraction, but, uh, but it's uh, used properly. Um, it, it's extremely effective. Same thing with Zoom to get video calls. And then something that we've done is um, it's a page from Jeff Bezos's book. We have um, this thing called decision memos. So you know, what Jeff Bezos uh, changed the way meetings are run. He said, uh, don't bring a PowerPoint and go through it. Write a six-page memo and start every meeting with everybody reading the memo and then discussing it because a six-page memo gives a lot more details and and we start the meeting with people reading it so everybody's read it. So we did that Uh, We have uh, decision memos. And then we said, well, since we're all remote, why don't we put them online as Google Docs, right? So the memo is online. Mm -hmm. And then we said, well, we shouldn't have a, a meeting to review it. Everybody should review it at their own time and comment on it so it's like an asynchronous meeting right <laughs> so you bring the thing and people at their leisure go and research it and what happens is that the comments are going to be much more valuable because they have time to research and think and uh, and right so then you you find that by the time you have all these comments and ideas on the decision memo you no longer need a meeting because the answer comes clearly um so that's an example of an online tool uh, that replaces the process that you would do if you were all in the same office uh, with a superior process. And it's, it's all enabled by uh, simple tools like a uh, Google Doc. So that's the second piece to your question is first piece is, is trust people because in any case, you will know what they're doing. The second piece is uh, there are tools that are well used. Uh, they're simple. Uh, will make things even more productive than, than when you were in the office.
1: Yeah, the asynchronous process that you described is even more valuable if your team is spread out over different yeah. time zones, yeah. right? Like, it would be great to be able to jump on a call if everybody, you know, is on Eastern time in the U.S., but what if your developers in, you know, Romania or something like that? It makes it much more difficult, and so that process does help. It It does sound like dodging meetings and dodging calls is kind of like, uh, a mantra of remote companies: When should people have meetings? When should people make the time and go through the difficulty of getting on a call?
0: So you want meetings uh, to make people feel connected. Mm. So every Friday we have a company meeting. Everybody jumps on Zoom, forty-two of us, and we talk about uh, thirty minutes how the business is going, what's happening, and and. You know, you could argue we don't need that because you could just say, hey, in Salesforce, everybody's access, you can see how we're doing. And when it comes to products, here's the list of products, right? But we do it uh, so that everybody feels that they belong. So it's a a belonging thing. And ironically, as I mentioned with the decision-member process, typically meetings in company are are, are used to... um, inform or make decisions, we no longer need that. We need that uh, to inform or make decisions, but we do need to feel included. So our, our engineering team has a scrum meeting in the morning. And you're right, uh, remote companies uh, often uh, is, is a movement against meetings, right? So people are sick of these waste of time meetings. And the curling meeting when you invite everybody and uh, we, you know we, we have none of that
1: meetings you're right are sometimes the remote companies are much more useful for just even like getting to know each other. Like if you bring on a new team member and sometimes Slack messages can be, um, misinterpreted, right? Like text can be misinterpreted. So it's helpful when you get to know people and you know, you read that Slack message and you're like, is that person being, you know, sarcastic? Is he being passive aggressive? Oh no, it's not because I know them and they know what they're like, you know? Um, and so, I mean the same thing with, You know the the party that you guys threw, you know, in Ibiza. It's like you probably didn't have to do that, but it helps to you know get people connected. and In teams that are more connected, work better together, right? So um, I totally agree with that. I do want to ask you um, because I I think this is very interesting. You said that your wife is your co founder, and I'm very curious as to what is that like, uh, because um, my fiance is not. You know, we, we don't have a business together but we do live and work together. So I'm curious, what are your tips for people who are running a company together, who are married? Uh, and also like just...
0: When our investor asked, uh, what is it like? Uh, I said, uh, well, uh, we make love in the office and we took work at home. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> that's, that's one line you can try. Um That is a very French way. (laughs) That's right. right, That's right. He asked me not to quote to his partners uh, that line. Um, Now, the the fundamental thing is that uh, Alina was running a product at Bloomberg and uh, later Pearson. So she had very strong skills in this product and had a lot of respect for these skills. Like, um, I was running sales in a telecom company and she. Reciprocally, a, a lot of respect for my skin. So we have very complementary skills. Um, and and no question on, on the different uh, roles, right? It's actually a funny thing mm-hmm. because we swapped CEO titles. So she started as CEO and then she said, oh, we're the baby. She said, oh, how about uh, you, CEO? And we swapped. But that doesn't really matter because we have, we have zones of responsibilities and, and we have a lot of respect for each other. So it, it was it was very natural. And, um, you know, when you start a company, it's, very, it's a known thing that uh, a lot of most successful companies have two, three, maximum four founders, but rarely one. It's very hard to start on your own because you need that uh, ability to bounce ideas, but also this emotional support. So as, as a husband and wife, we support each other all the time even more, right? Right. Um, and so I, I find it uh, very powerful. Now, obviously, it has to be that uh, the fundamentals that are in place. Has to be that your fiancé is actually uh, has a skill set that is going to be complementary to yours, and has a view on things that uh, that are compatible with yours. And it's not always uh, mm. it's not always uh, the case. But if if you're lucky enough that it's the case, then it's uh, very very uh, Pleasant and effective way to run a company.
1: It's interesting that you say that you need that emotional support in starting a company, and and I've never thought about it that way. That your partner already knows your triggers; they already know your emotional weaknesses in a sense, like like things that stress you out or or things that like you know cut you at the knees. So they know to look out for that for you um, in a business sense. So that's a really interesting way to put it. Um, and something else I wanted to ask you, I saw in my research is. Chili Piper is currently already at 5 million annual recurring revenue, correct? Yeah. But you went and took funding. So you got people to like, you know, give you money. Yeah. You're already doing, you know, seven figures. Why go and take funding?
0: Yeah. We we, we didn't need to, we would be been able to be, uh, cash positive. Uh, but with uh, a lot of ideas that we wanted to bring to market. And, um, uh, We took the money and hired engineers and product people and built these ideas. So that was the reason. And now these ideas are Mm. coming to fruition. We as I mentioned, about to launch uh, comments in inbox, inbox in Gmail. And so uh, we have other things around the inbox. So we just didn't want to have to wait. And and for all these engineers, we wanted to be able to do it uh, in parallel. That's the reason we took the money.
1: Do you think more people should wait to get funding? Instead of, you know, there's so many startups that, like, they get an idea.
0: Yeah, but uh, the data tends to show that uh, getting funding early is often the the right solution. So we we went a certain path, uh, but that doesn't mean that the uh, the path everybody uh, should should take. Um, Now, there is the risk, it's true, of getting funding early when you don't have product market fit yet. And spending more money before his time. And that actually does kill company because then it's very hard to get more money. You have a momentum of spending and, and you run out of, uh, of money. So there's a risk in the early days of thinking too much money. And I suppose in the later days too, you can, I see that because uh, on the customers, I see people get some growth and they way overspend and then they adjust and lay off people. And that's not healthy, but that's that doesn't mean you shouldn't take the money. It means that once you take the money, you have to be careful how to use it, right? So it's it's, it's different, right? It's, uh, it's like people die in car accidents, but it doesn't mean you shouldn't have cars. It means we should mm-hmm. be careful to not have accidents. Uh, so th- there are different contexts and different strategies that, that work well. Um, and uh, I would not make the statement not to take money. I just say, look, you have to look at your particular uh, situation and, that's just what's
1: best. I actually, I got started with like the, the classic startup experience, you know, where I was, I mean, I, I tried to have a startup that got funded. I tried to go through an accelerator, all that kind of stuff. And I, I push people not to do that because when I tried to do that, I was 22. So I didn't know, you know, my ass from my head, you know, as, as like a person. And so if...
0: That's a if, nice way to put it.
1: Yeah, I just came up with it on the yeah. flight. So, uh, I'm a poet, um, but you know, it's the thing is that I saw a lot of people that were in my position that did get money and they kind of didn't know what to do with it. They hired a whole bunch of people, they, and now with my experience, I'm like, you like, why did you do those things? And but in your case, you have a ton of experience, so if somebody gives you money, you know exactly what to do with it, and you can be much more um, intelligent with, with the way that you deploy that cash that you've been given. Um, and so I think, I think that even though I do push people to kind of like go through the ringer in a bootstrapped way at first, I do totally understand what you mean by, if you know what you're going to do with the money and be intelligent about it, that it totally makes sense to take money early.
0: Yeah. Well, look, um, We need money to live also, right? So you start mm-hmm. a company, uh, you don't take any money, well, what do you live on, right? So yeah. um, as I said, it's, it's not a 0 be not to take money. You have to be careful uh, how you use it. It is the case that uh, when you have experience, you're more likely to avoid some mistakes. But it is also the case that uh, a startup is always risky. If mm-hmm. you're trying to... Uh, come up with a better solution to a problem or like we said earlier invent something that people don't even know they have a problem but you have a better way but until you actually do it and get people to try it you don't know if your solution is really better even our solution for inbound right we call it concierge right so you fill a form and it seems completely obvious that if you connect people in real time you're going to get better conversion rates but maybe we didn't think of something. Maybe we forgot that mm-hmm. this is other problem. That, 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 and then when you go to actually try, it doesn't work. When we did it and we doubled conversion rates, uh, we said, let's try a few more companies to see if it's... And then and then it works. Sometimes it works, but sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes you, you have something and say, you know, uh, um, I'm going to give you a, a very uh, current example. Uh, last year, I was... Uh, as we we're growing, I was struggling with my own productivity. I think I need to scale my productivity, and as entrepreneurs do it, like I say, with Steve Jobs said, "Look, if you have a problem, go fix it." I've started another company. It's called Gypsy Time, and it's about to-do list. And I thought I'm going to fix the to-do list problem because my to-do list keeps uh, accumulating. And uh, yeah, you're familiar with the problem, right? Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm very familiar <laughs> with it, yeah. and it doesn't seem to. It's like a. It's like a cemetery of tasks uh, it feels like and so I thought um, I I need a different thing and and I had a partner and we started and we thought of a solution to solve that problem we had people try it and people said you know I I don't like it Uh, it doesn't help me Um, and we try with more people and sometimes it's just hard to find a better solution and to solve a problem Um, now we think we have a solution but uh, we uh, are about to bring it it to test again with this concept, the main problem uh, is that when they accumulate you you, you lose a sense of priority so we bring in this concept of a task sprint which is you put all the tasks together by theme, you say today I'm going to Let's say I'm going to do uh, all the marketing for this company, all these tasks that have to do with marketing, I do them from uh, 10 to 12 today, like it's a sprint with all the tasks, I batch them. And so no mm-hmm. fact that batching is much more effective than than uh, flirting around. So uh, so that's what we, we're doing, we're doing the solution, we're going to uh, bring into market in the coming weeks to this batching. But it may not work. Right? This is a great experiment, but maybe by the time the blog goes live, or like you, you will see uh, and you say, look, you've done it before, new experience, uh, but sometimes you you take a bet on, on a solution and out that, um, that it doesn't work and there's always this uncertainty.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, we're kind of starting to you know, run out of time. And I want to be respectful of your time as well. Um, You know, when we started, you said the only cutoff time was I was keeping you away from your beer. So I don't want to keep you away from from your beer. (laughs) But I do want to ask you kind of in wrapping up, you know, Chili Piper is is your fourth company, like we said, you've gone through several different companies. Um, and And I'm curious, what do you know now that you wish you would have known when you were starting your first company? That you could like, essentially, if you could go back and tell yourself now, with all the you know knowledge and experience that you have on on your fourth company, sounds like on possibly your fifth. What what do you wish you could go back and, and tell yourself when you were getting started with your first company?
0: Dive deeper into the data that you get from the market. So you go you go you go with the hypothesis of what can work and and what may not and. And what you need to do is keep digging. You know, the five whys, keep digging, but why, but why, but why, mm-hmm. and, why and keep digging into deeper, but why is this working? working, like like trying to get deeper into uh, what's really happening in the market and with your product. So that's number one. And combined to that is have more um, trust and confidence. And maybe there's something personal, but uh, what happens that when things don't work, it's easy to... To just say, well, you know, um, I'm failing. So you have to have both more confidence and say, no, 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 you're not going to fail. You're gonna, you going you to trust you'll you'll crack it. But also then dig into the data and dig deeper and look for alternatives. So that that's the thing. Uh, I look back. Uh, look, I've, I've been uh, fortunate that that the companies essentially worked out. But I can see, uh, I can see that uh, in each of them, I could have been more successful faster by just learning more. Our first product to what we uh, did this, is uh, Photoshop for them is, um, th- th- there was a, an angle that took us a lot of time uh, uh, to, to figure out, right? To who who's using it. For example, uh, we, we found that, uh, where we thought that it was about ma- making photos beautiful, we found that it was actually more, people were more interested in ma- making photos fun. Mm-hmm. so you do all these tools to make these beautiful uh improve the photo and that but that's not what people want what they wanted is is to distort a distorted face uh you know composite your faces that um, and i could have found that out uh faster if i had research go to meet people who use my product and how they do and what they do with it and all that in it 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 uh took us a while. that's just one example of, of, you You have to go to the details, go deeper and have faith that you're going to crack the problem. Um, don't listen, don't look for advice, look for information from people, right? So don't say, mm-hmm. how, how do you think I should do that? Ask them, when you had this problem, what did you do about it? How did you go? Or, right? That's, that's useful. Uh, Face yourself and go to the data. That, that's for sure the um, things that we should, the support that we had at the time.
1: Well, Nicholas, uh, thank you so much for coming by. I really appreciate it. This has been, uh, an awesome interview. I, I appreciate you coming here and, um, and, you know, distilling all your experience and knowledge. Um, before we wrap up, where can people find out more about you and, um, where can they find out more about Chili Piper?
0: Yeah. Um, if you come to our website, so Chili Piper, uh, as I mentioned, uh, we uh, help sales teams. So, um, if you come to your website, you can book a meeting with us directly. You can connect with you. Soon enough, we'll have these uh, inbox comments. You'll be able to try them uh, directly on our website. So Chili is Chili Piper, not Pepper, right? It's a play on the world, uh, Chili uh, uh, Piper. And then also, um, I'd love to have more people come and try our Gypsy Time uh, solution to be more productive with uh, Task Sprint and Focus. It's gypsy, G-I-P-S-Y, uh, time.com. We'll soon uh, release uh, the version, and uh, and it's it's free.
1: Perfect. Well, uh, I'm going to have all those links in the uh, show notes, so people can go and find them easily. But again, Nicholas, thank you so much for coming by. I really appreciate it, and uh, all the best.
0: Thanks. My pleasure. Take care.